morning and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and as you're turning there, I wanted to share with you something from the voice of the martyrs. I see I receive these prayer requests from time to time and updates about persecuted believers in other parts of the world. And in India, there's a story about some Bibles that were brought to a place in India called Kandhamal. And Kandhamal was a place predominantly populated by Hindus, but there were Christians, there were believers there. And several years ago, they were the Hindus persecuted the Christians in that area and ran them off and killed about 50 Christians and displaced about 10,000 people from their homes. Then years later, uh, things settled down and some of these Christians were able to re return. And so recently, as just a couple months ago, uh, Bibles through the voice of the martyrs were brought to, the, uh, to these Christian believers there in that state in India. And the, the report here says when, when they saw the Bibles, when these Christians saw the Bibles being handed to them, they were overjoyed and worship the Lord by singing and dancing. They saw their Bibles and they worshiped the Lord and were overjoyed with singing and dancing. Now you don't have to sing and you don't have to dance this morning, but I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of his word. And let us be thankful that we have access to his word to freely worship him together. Matthew chapter 18 Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's pray together again. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I would ask God again that you would be so gracious to speak and help us understand it what it means. Help us to see your glory and what these rules of the Lord that you've laid down for the church. Help us to remember the gospel as we seek to apply what your word says. So Lord, stir within us this morning and speak, we ask. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Has someone that you know as a Christian ever done something that bothered you, that sinned against you, that offended you? And what did you do about it? And what you did about it, was it biblical? Or did you do anything about it? Is that biblical not to do anything about it when someone sins against you that's a Christian? When we look in this passage of scripture, I want you to just jump right to with me in verse eight or verse fifteen. And you notice it says there, if your brother sins against you. So we need to ask ourselves, what brother is it talking about? Well, this is not a sibling. It's not talking about a sibling in your family, that's your brother. 
Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. But when he speaks here, he's not talking about a Jewish brother to these Jews that he's writing to. No, in fact, if you look at verse 17, he mentions the church for only the second time in the Gospel of Matthew and only one of two times in the entire four Gospels in the New Testament, the word church is used. So in Matthew chapter 17, verse A, or chapter 17, the first part of the verse, it, it mentions the word church. So this brother that's being spoken about here is a brother that's a part of the church. It's one of the called out followers of Jesus, a brother in the church family, just as our three brothers got up here and shared with us this morning and talked about our church as a family. So we're reminded that that is true of the church. We're a community of called out followers of Jesus. We are a family. And so we refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our church covenant has something to say about how we should respond to Christians who are in sin or who may sin against us. And it's only because our church covenant says it's only because of what Jesus says here in these words. So I want to share with you this excerpt from our church covenant. It says here, we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer. So it says, notice it says to watch over one another in brotherly love. So we recognize that as a church in our own church covenant. We read often when we take part in the Lord's Supper, which we probably will read next Sunday. We have these words that we repeat. We talk about a brotherly love, a familial love, a family. So we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. So notice in the language of our own church covenant, it mentions at the very end, the last line, even though we're going to be slow to take offense, but, but when offense has been taken and, and it becomes necessary, we will be mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. So what I want to share with you this morning from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and following are the rules of our Savior when it comes to how we should respond when a brother a sister in Christ sins against us, offends us. What does the Bible say to do? The main point of these verses and the main point of the message this morning then is this. How do you respond? Here's the question. How, do we, how should we respond when a brother or sister offends us or sins against us? Here's the answer. Love them. Love your brother by following the Lord's rule of love. That's the big picture. That's the big statement overall. Love your brother by following the Lord's rule of love. And so what we have are Jesus' words, Jesus' rules, his instructions here about how to love our brother when they sin against us. I think it's necessary to begin looking at these verses by pointing out how we need to carefully apply these verses. We want to love our brother by following the Lord's rules of love, applying these rules of love. So let me give you two points of instruction about how we should be careful in doing so. One is that we, we ought to be careful to apply these rules lovingly, but not loosely. Apply these rules lovingly, not loosely. And secondly, apply, apply these rules lovingly and not legalistically. Legalistically. 
So we don't want to apply them loosely. We don't want to apply them legalistically. So let me expound upon that by looking at what the Bible says. Notice in your, in your Bible, you're looking at your Bible in verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you. So let's, let's think about that for just a minute. If your brother sins against you. So when it says against you, literally it means there's been a direct personal sin against you. Directly against you then you're supposed to do something about it according to these verses. Secondly, we need to consider though, is there is a place for these verses to be applied when there's been an indirect offense against a brother. An indirect private or public sin against the church is a sin against you. 1 Corinthians 5 is case in point, where a man is with his father's wife. He's with his stepmother in an immoral way. And Paul, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not confront the sister of this brother who's with their stepmother. He confronts the whole church and says, Church, you're being sinned against, basically. Why is this person not being removed from your midst? So yes, when someone sins against the church, they are to, we are to follow these steps. These steps do not just apply when someone personally sins against you directly, but if a brother in Christ sins and is unrepentant, whether that was directly against you or not, but it's in a, whether it's even private or public or not, that, that is hurting the church. It is an offense against you. And these steps are to be instituted. So that question, these rules can't be conveniently avoided as long as the believer's sin was not directly against you individually. In fact, that's not love. Don't apply these, apply these rules loosely. If somebody directly sins against you, don't just avoid dealing with it. And if somebody indirectly sins against the church, we should not just avoid dealing with it because it wasn't against us personally. It's none of my business. I'm no better than them. I don't, you know, I'm not supposed to judge. So I'm just going to let this brother keep right on in his sin or this sister right on in her sin and not say anything about it because I don't want to be involved. So apply these rules lovingly, not loosely, and apply these rules lovingly, not legalistically. So there's two, two ends of the extreme we can fall on here, right? Avoiding it, basically, and then being so rigid and legalistic it becomes this process that we simply are rushing through all these rules. We're just rushing through what Jesus says here in verses 15 through 18, or, or 17, basically. We're not loving other Christians when we rush through these rules. We're not loving other Christians when we insist on a legalistic application of these rules. And I'll give you some examples in just a moment. Notice he says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you. So here's some things to think about before you begin to apply these rules. That's why I'm starting the message this way. Think about this. If your brother sins against you. What does it mean to sin against you? 
So as you think about applying these rules, we need to think, first of all, has my brother sinned against me? Or am I simply being too sensitive? And that's a possibility. In a day, in a world in which we live, when everybody's offended by everything, you think we're immune from it, church? Do you think we just get a little bit nitpicky on each other, a little bit sensitive sometimes, and our feelings get hurt a little bit too easy? Yes, it does, and I'm one of them included. So first of all, we need to step back for just a moment and say, has, have they actually sinned against me, or is the problem with me? And, and sometimes that is the case. Many times it's not. That would imply, if I need to ask myself this question, have, have they sinned against me? You know, it says, if your brother sins against you, so that would imply that, first of all, probably what I need to do before anything else is what? Pray. Probably the first thing I need to do is pray about it to the Lord. I might even need to seek godly counsel about it. The Bible talks about having a multitude of counselors in certain situations, not in a gossipy way, not in a way you'd even need to share a name. You go to them alone, but that don't mean you, don't seek, you, you, you couldn't seek counsel up front by wisely conf, confiding in a godly Christian. And again, you don't even have to mention names. Just say, this, there's a situation. I want to know if I'm, I'm overthinking this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, another question to think about, is this something I'm able to overlook? So maybe they did sin against you, but is it something you're able to overlook? Proverbs 19.11 talks about how it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. <laughs> I'm hesitant to mention that because the, the problem I see often in the church as a pastor is, well, let's use this verse to cop out and never and but avoid the whole issue altogether. Yeah, I, I'm overlooking the offense. When in fact, you, you, you can't overlook it. It's, it's driving you crazy. You're, there's distance between you and this person. You, you kind of avoid them now. You're still upset with him. You think about it all the time or occasionally anyway. And, you, and you're really just not overlooking it. So that's when you need to pray about it. And then you need to go talk to somebody that's a wise, godly person. And say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm still feeling. Would you pray with me? What should I do? Do I need to go address this? Am I being too sensitive? Am I being too nitpicky? Am I just being critical? Could, could this harm other people? Is this a pattern in this person's life? There's questions you ask yourself. Am I truly able to overlook this person and allow it to hinder my fellowship with this person? Or is it going to leave me? To, can I just be quiet about it and not talk to other people about it? If, I, if I'm not, then I'm not overlooking it, Right? If you're, running, if you're talking to somebody else about it, you've, unless you're seeking godly counsel for the purpose of counsel and prayer, then you're not overlooking it. In fact, you're sinning. Uh, apply these rules legally, uh, excuse me, lovingly, not legally, not legalistically, means another question we need to ask ourselves then before we ever jump into the rules themselves is, is it time? Is it time to take this first step which is verse 15, to go to this person and talk to them alone. Is it time? I'll give you a real... The reason I say not legalistically is some people will say, hey, this is what the Bible says, this happened, and what you need to do right now is you need to go right now, take no time to think about it, and you need to go talk to this person alone. Well, I preached a funeral of someone in Kansas City. I haven't been there about a year. And I preached a funeral of a young man in the church. Or not, he wasn't going to our church, but his mother was. And he'd been murdered. 
And was the mother of this young man supposed to go immediately and confront the person she defended just right then? Well, of course not. We would not counsel somebody immediately go. Eventually, she did forgive the man. After weeks in prayer and, and, and even in the courtroom, she, she forgave this man who had murdered her son. So that's the reason I say let's not apply them in a legalistic, rigid, systematic way and not consider some of these things are not as black and white as you can make them out to be. Another question, is it wise or safe to go alone? You know, there's some situations out there where you would not want to counsel somebody, hey, go and talk to this person alone that's offended you because this person has hurt you. you don't, they, they can hurt you. You know, they beat you up. They, there's a lot of things that we can talk about, right? You know what I'm saying. And you don't feel safe around them anymore. In fact, probably the first place you need to go is to the police. If somebody offends you, sins against you, that's a Christian, in a way that could be a, it's a threat to your life or a threat to somebody else, probably the first thing you need to do is go to the police. So... These are some of the just the practical things we have to keep in mind. These are principles that Jesus lays down for, her, for us to apply, and we're not to avoid these principles, but we're certainly not to legalistically apply them either. So, this morning, in your, in your sermon notes, I've got four steps written down. I see four steps here. Some people see, see three, some see maybe more than that. Four steps to... Uh, that Jesus says to take in this process. So you've, you're not going to apply them loosely. You're not going to apply them legalistic. You've prayed about it. You, you realize that this is a sin. It's something you can't overlook. So here's what you're supposed to do. If your brother sins against you, and rather than go through all four steps, we're going to take step one this morning. All right? Just step one. <coughs> Buddy of mine, y'all know a lot of go deer hunting. A friend of mine is a deacon in Kansas City. One time we went out hunting. His name's Rick. And we were out hunting somewhere, and it had rained a lot and rained, unlike around here, and we were out bow hunting, and we walked up to this place we hadn't been before, and the creek was all swelled up, and we couldn't get across it. But we wanted to get to the other side because we knew that's a good place to go hunting. And we could not find a place to cross. And finally, we walked on down, and we saw a log laying across the creek. And I said, you know what? I think we could get across it if we go across that slick log. So the question became, who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? <clears throat> My answer was, well, you're a deacon, you ought to go first. Serve a pastor, you know. Well, we got across and did all right, but here's why I say that. When it comes to this issue, church, a lot of times what we ask is the wrong question, and the wrong question is, who's going to go first? Who's supposed to go first? The thing I hear most often is, they need to come to me. I don't need to go to them. This is when, you know, it's been an understood friction between two individuals that are Christians. And somebody says, well, no, they need to come to me. And the other person says, no, they need to come to me. They need to take the first step. They need to go first. Who's supposed to go first? That's the wrong question. The right question is, who's going to go first? Because if you look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, 
And let me read these verses. And this is the reason we're just going to take step one this morning because there's so many different questions to answer. Make sure we're not overlooking some things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So if you remember that your brother has been offended by something that you've done, what's it say? Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. So if you remember that you've offended your brother in Matthew chapter 5, you're supposed to go to them. You're the offender. Matthew chapter 18, you're supposedly the innocent party. They're the offender. What's it say? If, you, if your brother sins against you, go. So what's the right question? Not who's, who's, go, who's supposed to go first, but who's going to obey the Lord? Who's going to go? Who's going to take that first step? And this is step number one to reconciliation. When a brother sins against you, Jesus speaks about it. Love them enough to go alone. That's step one. I'm going to give you all four steps real quick because some of you are obsessive, note blank filler outers, and you want them all. All right? So step one, love them enough to go alone. Step two, love them enough to return with one or two others. That's what verse 16 is telling us. Go with one or two others. Number three, love them enough to tell it to the church. I'm going to stick with this, love them enough, because that's what it's all about. These are the Savior's rules of love. Love them enough to go to them alone. Love them enough to go with one or two others. And then number three, love them enough to tell it to the church. You don't have to get to all these steps. Hopefully it can be resolved step one, right? Number four, if they won't listen to the church, love them enough to treat them like an unbeliever. This is more for the church to do collectively as a whole. Love them enough to treat them like an unbeliever. So let's revisit step one for just a few moments. Love them enough to go alone. Jesus says in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. See it? Alone. Didn't make it up. Alone. So we've already addressed these special circumstances that are out there. Pastor Steve understands that there are situations when you cannot go alone to certain people that have offended you. Understand? But there are many times we can and we should go alone. We may have prayed, we should have prayed about it first and we may have sought some wise godly counsel without mentioning names ahead of time. So what I would give you some instruction about here from the Word is, you know, we love them enough to go alone means you go clearly and, and you go directly. What's it say in your Bible? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So you go and you tell him his fault. So you're going clearly and directly. You're telling him what this person has done. You're telling her what she has done. This is what you have said, what you have done. This, is, this has offended me. This has bothered me. You know, that's very important. Maybe a no-brainer to you to go clearly and directly, but... Many times, and it may make you feel even worse about it, but you may find out this person don't even know they've offended you. And that may offend you right there. You mean you did this and you don't even, you didn't even think about it? But a lot of times, there's people out here offended at you 
And you don't even know it until somebody else comes and tells you, not them. Has it happened to you? So-and-so's people are saying this about what you did or what you said. Well, who are these people? I can't tell you who these people are. So I'm talking to ghost here. It could be anybody. So it's real important for you, if you love your brother, don't put them in that position. If you love your brother, go to them alone, directly and clearly, talk to them about what they've done. They may not even realize it. They may not even meant to. And then again, they may, they may know very well why you're showing up too. They may, they may say, you know what? I know why you're here and I should have come to you, but I'm glad you're here. And they may, you know, tell them how it go. But clearly and directly. Then when I look at the Bible here, not only clearly and directly, but privately, not publicly, nor anonymously. And that goes back to what I was just saying. Privately, not publicly, nor anonymously. You keep it between you and him alone. It says go to them. Um, there's, there's certain situations where somebody may have moved. Somebody may have died for that matter. But we're talking about where this can, you know, we're talking about somebody still living. Somebody may have moved and you may have to write them a letter or send them an email initially or make a phone call. But it seems to me most biblically that you would physically go to this person and talk to them. All right? But you would go and talk to them. Again, if it's safe and wise and, and all those other considerations that are out there. Now, the last thing to address here with this is, you know, okay, I go to them. I'm going to do the right thing. I prayed about it. I can't overlook it. It's driving me up the wall. I don't want to take this first step. I sure wish they'd go first. But I know what the Bible says. I want to obey the Lord. So I'm going to take this step. And you've talked to them and you've confronted them. So when are you done with this? Well, what's it say in your Bible? Verse 15 again. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he listens to you, praise the Lord. You don't, no, no more steps to take. You don't go any further steps than that because what's your goal all along? Your goal all along is not to prove your point, not to say you're right. Your goal all along is to gain your brother, right? I mean, if you have an argument with your spouse, your, your goal should not be to prove your point and win the argument, but so that they'll want to be close to you again. So when are you done? You're done if you gain your brother, if he listens to you. So what does it mean if he listens? How do you know this person has listened to you? Listen. You know, so I can be talking and people not be listening. You know, it's just like watching... You know, like the kids on Charlie Brown, Peanuts, and wah, 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 the teachers are. But what, how do you know when somebody's listening? They've listened. They're not just listening and hearing what you said, but they're listening. Well, perhaps you'll know that, that you've gained your brother and you're done because they've admitted, yes, you're, you're right, I, I, I've sinned. You know what? If somebody comes to you and confronts you with something, you realize it was wrong, listen. And then just say, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? It might even help to be more specific. I'm so sorry that what I said made you feel like this. Would you please forgive me? I'm going to try to do a lot better job next time. 
Brother, that ought to take care of it. So listen for an admission of sin. Because in some cases, though, listen, in some cases a brother may see may not see what they've done is sinful. I, you know, you've been in that position before? Somebody comes and confronts you and says, hey, th- what you did, I, and, and I don't think you should have done that. And, and you're like, thinking, if I had to do it over, I'd probably do it again. I think I did the right thing here. So the person you go to confront may, not, may still not feel what they've done has been sinful. They can still be maybe sorry it hurt your feelings, but then they've got to be careful because they may come across like, well, I'm sorry you're so sensitive. You know, you don't want to do that. So in, in that case, you need to listen to them. And if they're, if they're not coming right out and saying, yeah, I sinned, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done this, but instead they're saying, well, well, this is, this is why I said it this way. I certainly didn't mean to, to offend you personally, but that's not quite the admission of sin that you're looking for, you know, but if they're not becoming defensive and they, they desire to reconcile, then you, that's a good conversation. That, that's what you want. So remember about this first step, loving them enough to go alone. Remember that we're not legalistically applying these rules, right? You go to them, you go to them, hopefully they listen in some way through what they say and, and their mannerisms and so forth, you can see that there is a reconciliation that's taking place. Praise God for that. But you go to them and they don't listen to you. When we get to step two next Sunday, as the Lord leads, they don't listen to you. Before you go to step two, I think some of the things I said earlier apply. You pray. You think about what that person has said. Maybe you were too sensitive. Maybe you misunderstood them. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe it's worse than you thought. Maybe they are just blind to their sin. And they need somebody else to help them see it. And so then you take one or two along at step two. But remember, we're not legalistically applying these rules. So at this point, you may need to give them some time. You've talked to them. You really didn't get anywhere. Brother... Instead of going to step two, you may need to repeat step one from time to time. You may need to go to them again alone. You may need to give them some time, pray, maybe go talk to another godly person again about it. And instead of taking one or two along right away, you, in order to save face especially, you, you may want to go to them again before you apply step two. But please don't take that to mean that with any of these steps that you can just indefinitely put off doing what the scripture says to do. And so often what I see is that. And I want to do it too. Nobody wants to confront people and talk about things they've been offended by. Nobody wants it. But Jesus said to do it. So let me conclude this way. Um, there's a lot of fears that we have in doing that, right? You know, you're afraid about how that person's going to respond. They're going to think, oh, they don't know what, oh, this person, I didn't even know you were offended. I'm so sorry, and that makes you feel silly. I mean, there's a whole, tons of questions and fears that may go through your mind. Why should we go ahead and do this? Well, I was reading in Psalm 19 this morning. It, it talks about the decrees and the rules of the Lord and how they are sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Don't you realize that Verse 15, going to your brother alone is gold. 
It's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. You reconcile with a brother. You do what scripture says. If you've been through that process, and by God's grace there has been reconciliation, it is gold for your soul. And for them, you gained them. God is glorified in that. It's like stepping on the edge of the pool, your little son and doesn't want to jump in because he's afraid and he can't swim. You're like, you need to jump in, you need to trust me. And so they take that step and they jump and they trust you and you are glorified in your strength in catching them and they're trusting you. So glorify God by trusting his word. Do what he says, don't avoid it. There's gold for your soul here. And secondly, an objection to those fears and Worries and concerns about this and about this and about this. Remember, this is intended to be a means of rescuing their soul. Because if they have sinned against you, and in fact, if they continue in unrepentance, your very confronting them of this sin could be a means of rescuing their soul. Notice it says in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 15 again, you have gained your brother. So you've gained a fellowship with them. But I think of what the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 15. James chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 19 says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, it could be that you're, you're going to a brother who, whose sin does not give you, against you does not give you the impression that that person's lost and has never truly been saved. But then again, maybe it is. Maybe you're wondering about them because of the weightiness of the offense. You're not the final judge, but Scripture does tell us to judge those within the church. So love your brother enough because by going to them, getting past these fears, uh, going past these obstacles of not obeying what God says because you can glorify God by trusting his word. It's gold for your soul and it could be a means of rescuing their soul. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 talks about restoring this one who has went astray. What's it say to them? What's it say to this one you go to, you obey the word, you take the first step. What it says is, it's supposed to be saying something about who God is. As a brother in Christ, like Christ, you're stepping out. And this, this, the God whom I have, have offended came to me. He went to me. He came to me. He came to this earth and saved me. He confronted me by the Holy Spirit with my sin. And the God whom I've sinned against, as well as my brother, by my brother coming to me reminds me that my God whom I've sinned against, whom I've sinned against my brother, loves me enough to come to me. It reminds me of the gospel. God, just not let me go along in, my, along in my sin. I've got a brother who loves me enough that's willing to come and risk fears and all these other things that are in their mind. They love me enough because they're coming in the right spirit. And it reminds me how much God loves me in Christ Jesus. This is what God done for the strange sheep in chapter 18, verse 13 and 14. If he sees one of those sheep going, what's he do? The father's like that shepherd, and he goes after them. And so in going after our brother alone, we remind them of who God is and remind them what Christ has done. And I want to remind you this morning as I close that this is exactly what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. 
He has came and he has confronted us with our sin. He has rescued us in our sin through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, ask him to forgive you. And he will cleanse you of your sin and he will reconcile with you through what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, we have been to space and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. 
God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.